0: Hello and welcome to The Real Writing Process. I'm your host Tom Pepperdine and this week my guest is the filmmaker and novelist Adam Simcox. Adam came to my attention when I picked up his debut novel The Dying Squad, which not only has a killer first line but a fantastic opening page, and then a brilliant supernatural crime thriller for the rest of the book. I caught up with Adam as he was beginning the promo for the sequel called The Generation Killer, which is also a fantastic book. And Adam invited me to meet him in the private members bar of Picturehouse Central in that there London. Now, am I a sucker for glamorous locations? Yes. Did I squeal like the yokel I am when I saw a famous landmark out the window? Also, yes. And did I leave such a childish and unprofessional noise in the interview for your amusement? Of course I did. But finally, before I play the jingle to introduce the interview, do I have one last juicy tidbit for you? No. So i'm here with adam simcox hello adam hello good and to be here It's very good to be here and we will talk about the location in a second but my first question as always what are we drinking we are drinking quite unusually for me coca-cola yeah it's a little bit of a
1: hangover drink okay me. so i was at a gig last night <laughs> oh, nice. when i see phoebe bridges oh nice. and i could have slunk into the after party because it was the final night of the tour nice but such is my commitment to the podcast game oh I went straight home, mate, oh. went straight home. This is more important.
0: It. Thank you, well, I appreciate your sacrifice and yeah, I hope it's worth it. And we're not on Zoom, we are in person. This oh, is it's exciting. Glorious. It's glorious. F- I think it's my first ever one of these We've done it in person. Oh, excellent. And uh, you've chosen the location. Would you like to describe to the listeners where we are?
1: I have, we are in the Picturehouse Central Members Bar, which is in Piccadilly Circus, which is one of my regular writing haunts it's like probably the best family members bar in the world. Like you pay like £100 for the year. Yeah. And you get four free cinema tickets. And it's overlooking Piccadilly Circus. Yes. Just, you can see a bit of Leicester Square there. It's just got one of those places got a good vibe. To yeah, it. that's that is Big Ben, is it? Yeah, it's just the top of Big Ben. <laughs> yeah, you can, can see it poking out of the is, buildings. Uh, yeah,
0: that was such a, a yokel in the big city <laughs> moment, wasn't it? I was like, is that Big Ben? But yes, um, so in central London with a wondrous view, very comfy. Um, armchairs and yeah our own private bath and music that i will do my best to not have to pay royalties for <laughs> and will filter out so yeah so how long has this been one of your writing haunts
1: that's a really good question i'll tell you what pretty much since it opened and it was one of my genuine traumas of lockdown that i couldn't come to places like yeah. this to write because i hate writing at home mm. hate it so this was what this was right from the very start. It's been one of my favourite places
0: to come mm. in London.
1: It was one of my top three places yeah.
0: in London. This bar. Well, if you're saying top three, I need to know the other two. In terms, <laughs> in terms
1: of writing. There's also foils. Oh, yeah, yeah. Top floor on foils, yeah. Cross Road, It's a fantastic little right spot. Mm-hmm. Really fucking expensive in that place. Hot chocolate's a <laughs> four quid. Four oh, geez. quid. But it's, again, it's a place with a great sort of vibe to it. The other one is like a local cafe to me. Their hot chocolates are significantly cheaper. <laughs> and I don't mind giving them the money because it's like yeah. a local business. It's funny how a place. It, won't even always be like the poshest place or the slickest place. It mm. just got a good feel to it. It's not crazy. It's busy, but it's not crazy busy. I like mm-hmm. a bit of energy, and it's funny how that works out. But this is probably my number one.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, and so you've mentioned it twice there. I go ask, is uh, hot chocolate your writing drink?
1: <laughs> it's either hot chocolate or decaf. I'll okay, say. I had to kick
0: caffeine. Mm-hmm. With, well, apart
1: from rare instances like this. I have like this ringing ear thing. Oh, wow. And caffeine makes it worse. But I need, I spend my life in cafes, oh. so I need to drink something. So hot chocolate and decaf lattes are my gateway drug. <laughs> They're <laughs> my kind of come down from the nice. caffeine high.
0: As someone who writes about a lot of death and <laughs> murder, there's are very comforting drink, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> they are. She's just like straight up
1: bourbon at 9am <laughs> yeah. or like yeah. arsenic. Yeah. yeah, I think like the cry community which I guess I'm in now and I've got to know over the last couple of years. Like, they're the nicest people. Mm. They really are. I guess it's like horror, the mm. horror community. Like yeah. they're the kind of nicest people in the world. If someone, if a dead body turns up, it's not going to be someone in the horror community or the <laughs> yeah. crime community. Look at those romantic novelists. They're the shifty ones. <laughs> you really got to look at. Yeah, I think crime
0: writers are a nice breed mm. on the whole. I think the best crime novelist, if you're really understanding the human frailty and the human flaws of people, And I think you can only really be effective in that if you've worked on yourself to (laughs) deal with that. Um, Yeah, I think
1: that's a good point. I think that's a good point. What I found with crime writers as well is there's not loads of 21-year-olds. There's not many kind of sickeningly successful (laughs) at a younger age people. Mostly they're kind of like late 30s to mid 40s. Mm it's come to them a little bit later in life. Seen a bit more of life, they've had a few more knocks and bruises. <laughs> so they can maybe not take it quite seriously as some like literati 22
0: yeah. year old breaking through. A bit more cynical and weary. Yeah, yeah. Nice. And I was gonna ask you sort of with, you know, identifying a genre, is that, was that always something that you aspired to writing that genre? Or as you say, it's like coming to it later in life. Was it something that just, you found yourself being drawn to?
1: I don't know genre, it's funny. I don't really think of myself as writing in one genre because I, I wrote some books before mm. The Dying Squad that nothing really happened with and they were three different genres. One was science fiction, mm-hmm. another one was like a black comedy slash sports okay. book and the third one was a bit similar to Dying Squad and it was quite pulpy. So I don't really think of myself as writing in one particular genre. With Dying Squad, it's, you could make a good case that it's fantasy or yeah. you could make a good case it's crime. Mm. To me, it's a crime thriller with like fantasy flashy fantasy go faster stripes all the people I know that like I do straight crime think
0: this ain't crime but to me it is to me it is that's good and when you are coming up with your ideas do you find it's the crime itself that is your hook is your way in because sometimes it's the world is like oh what kind of thing would happen here or a character comes out I was just wondering yeah draws you into a story?
1: I think the crime itself is the main hook. Mm. And the main bit that interests me is one, meshing like the fantastical with the real. Mm. Because I think all these books, despite their themes, are very much set in the real world. The first book is set in rural Lincolnshire, which hasn't been massively written about, but I grew up there, so Mm. I know the place. The second book is set in Manchester, which Mm. I used to live live in Manchester, and I love that city, Mm. and also Tokyo. Mm. The third book, which is our next year, is set in Berlin. Oh, wow. so they're all kind of places I know quite well, and all places that are just like rich mm. to dig out from. That's really important to me. The other important thing is I love the investigation bit. I love the solving the crime bit yeah. because I never, when I start these books, I never know who done it or who's behind the crime or mm. why they're behind it. Like I'm doing the investigation as I'm writing it, which in some ways is an enormous pain in the arse. <laughs> because just like a normal investigation, you just go down a blind alley mm. and like slam into it and you have to backtrack and rewrite, which I guess you wouldn't get if I was a planner. But then even I've tried planning a couple of things and I just go off piste anyway mm. with it. So yeah, in terms of the bit I find exciting, I like doing the investigation. I like working out who've done it. Yeah, And to me, a twist is always much better if it's a surprise to the writer then it will be a surprise to the reader if yeah. you try and engineer it from the start i think yeah. it feels a little bit forced
0: yeah. with the project you're working on at the moment are you like editing that or are you on a new book
1: i will be editing that soon okay. i've turned it in that will be i'll be editing within the next few months so i'm a little bit ahead so the dying squad it was like a three book deal yeah. so the second one comes out in august 2022 the third one will come out next summer yeah. and then i've actually written what would be my fourth book which will be a standalone. Okay. I've already written that. I wrote it between books two and three, Dinesquad books okay. two and three. So I've got a bit of downtime, so I've actually been writing a couple of scripts over the last few months. And they could be future books. They might be something else. It's actually, a really, if you've got the time, it's a really good way of working mm. because you're essentially writing a super detailed breakdown of yeah. a book. It's thinner than a book. You know, You don't have the interiority or prose or anything like that. But it lets you stress test the story. It tells you where it goes wrong. Mm. It tells you where you need to fix it. It tells you if the twists work. I mean, that element of it is still the same. You know, you're yeah. finding the story and like when it takes an di- unexpected turn, you still get that kind of little thrill from it. And I think it's really good in terms of does this work? Mm. Because you should be able to write a short story on the back of a McDonald's wrapper. Yeah. And if it's good. Yeah. Um, so it's really effective for that, I think. Okay.
0: And um, with the books that have been published, did those go through a script process?
1: No, no, I didn't. I didn't do it with that. So the Dying Squad was like a fast write. I think the Dying Squad took me three months to write it, which is really fast. And Generation Killer took longer just because it wasn't really difficult second book syndrome. I think no. it's easier if you write it in a series. I think it's harder if you have to write a second book and start from scratch and yeah. do new characters and you blah, blah, blah. I think it's easier if you're building on an existing mm. world, but there are still some things, you, you look back on the wealth of second books in a series and then yes. you just think about the ones that didn't work mm. and you don't want to fall into that yeah. trap. So you, you have to keep what works about the first one, but you have yeah. to make it fresh again. Yeah. You have to have new ideas in there. Yeah. You have to send the characters on a different personality path, whatever, and you have to make it exciting. Mm. There's a lot of moving parts and I was aware that it was a three book deal and I had a third book mm. so I had to set the third book up as well because yeah. these aren't really standalones they're kind of they're all intermeshed certainly the yeah. first three will be so those were the challenges right in the second
0: yeah and definitely with the generation killer the scope is far <laughs> far broader yeah uh, there's a lot bigger stakes the stakes are very personal in book one but it's very much the stakes of the world it, in book two that, yeah. that's a
1: great way of looking at it it did feel a bit at times like I was like an indie filmmaker on the first one. Yeah. And then like Warner Brothers just give me $300 million yeah. to make oh, the second yeah. one. I
0: mean, you, know, it's a really, you look at the first one, it's like, yeah, that's a five to 25 million indie movie. And the second one's like, no, this is a massive Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and I don't quite know why I did it like that. It's just, I guess there was almost a bit of wish fulfillment. It's like, I was making a film, that's how I'd want to do it. Yeah, I think like with the first book, the kind of the film touchstones were like Shane Meadows yeah, yeah, yeah. and Line of Duty and like, noir local crime. Whereas the second book was more like Heat and Seven. Yeah, they, yeah, were yeah. My, they were my more like Twitstones. The third one, I guess, is a little bit of a mix between the two. Yeah. Because it's only so big you can get yeah. before it gets ridiculous. Yeah. Like, yeah, like Joe's in space in his book. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: so, yeah, as a filmmaker who's been working a lot before the, you started writing these books, now going back and writing scripts, do you feel that the books have changed your approach or your outlook or the way you approach your script it's a great question
1: actually that yes and no i think writing scripts before i would written the books taught me more so things that it really taught me and making films was like pace tightness if you're making any sort of film whether it's like a feature or a commercial film or whatever like each shot has to make the person want to watch the next shot if you don't do that you failed You've, you've screwed it so that taught me a lot about pace and economy. When I've switched back to doing novels, I think I've still got a little bit when I'm writing a script as if I'm making this film. So it's getting out of the mindset of it doesn't really matter that I can put that group of extras in. Yeah. Because it wouldn't be me responsible for getting them. I would ring round mates <laughs> just like trying to get this group yeah, of people yeah. there. It's keeping that 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 bigness that I've got in the books. Mm when I translate to scripts, which I think I've done. But there's a lot more similarities than differences between novels and scripts. It is a different discipline, but it's not really. It's Mm. not if you're a novelist, so I'm going to be a plumber. It's still writing. All the main bits that make a good book make a good script. There is more show than tell in a script, but there's not loads more. Mm. And it's still the things you need to get right in a novel are the things you need to get in a script. Interesting characters, plot development, paciness, why d- does this deserve my time, sort yeah. of thing.
0: And you mentioned how you're not much of a planner. With scripts you've been working on recently, has that been the same sort of thing that you'll discover as you go?
1: I've, yeah, I have actually, the last one I worked on, I did plan it out a bit. Okay. Not all the way through, but I was struggling on it a bit. So when I'd finished for the day, I would plan out what I was gonna do on the next writing session. Yeah. So just one day ahead. And sometimes it changed. It had been a long time since I'd written a script Mm. and I didn't have quite the same confidence that i do with sitting down writing a novel. So I almost needed to hold my own hand a little bit (laughs) on it and say, okay, that's what I'm going to do the next day. Because I think writer's block, I know some people say they get writer's block, that's a luxury I can't Mm. afford, I've got to earn money. You don't have writer's block if you're like working in McDonald's or doing any other number of work or working as a nurse or a doctor you've just got to do the fucking job that's not a luxury i can afford i can't just afford to sit and stare into space for eight hours so yeah I, that just kept me honest mm. if i knew what i was doing the next day then that just took the pressure out yeah
0: and on that as well sort of i want to uh, go a bit more into your daily writing schedule uh, as someone who doesn't write At home and you know this being your number one writing spot but also having a couple of others yeah do you treat it like a nine-to-five where you you have a commute and you get there for a certain time and do you plan to write for a certain number of hours or do you have a word count or just like certain number of scenes yeah how do you map out your day
1: a hundred percent yeah it is about one of the appeals is like I get dressed I take the kids to school or I get on the train go to a place I do my words it is a job mm. it's a cool job but yeah. it is a job and if you're i think where people come unstuck a bit the star is they're expecting it to be this sort of back flipping the wonderful experience every day without yeah. one with a muse that's just not the reality you will have mm. those days where it's just genuinely exciting you'll have a lot more where it's just a bit of a fucking slog and you've <laughs> got to sit down and do the words because yeah. no one else is going to do them for you and i, I find that Whenever it feels really good, you've had a brilliant day, it's never quite as good as you remember when you read back. (laughs) But also, conversely, whenever you think, oh, this is terrible, it's never that bad either. There's always like a middle ground that it's in. So yeah, it is about coming down, getting the words down. If I've got four or five hours, Mm. which if I'm doing like school runs or I've got a shoot or whatever, that's very achievable. I would look for 1,500 words. I know some people struggle with that, but to me, I've got a lot more time than a lot of people. Mm. I owe it to myself and those people that don't have as much time to like, get the work done. Even if it's rubbish, it's a very much a cliche, but it's a lot easier to fix something on this page than yeah. fix a blank page.
0: No, absolutely. And are you someone who edits as they go? Is it something that, that you start your writing day reviewing what you wrote the day before, maybe tweaking a few things, or do you like to go, I'm going to write... X amount of words, maybe 10,000 words, and then do a review. It
1: honestly, it changes from project to project, and it depends on how well it's going. If it's, I feel uncertain of it, and I don't feel it's going that well, I won't stop. I'll just keep going to get to the end, because I think that's where you can come a bit unstuck. If I'm feeling calm about it and confident, then yeah, I'll probably spend the first (coughs) 45 minutes just reading what I've done before. It honestly changes from project to project. Um, Sometimes, I think, particularly if you're not totally sure about the idea, it feels quite fragile. I think Mm -hmm. it can be detrimental to look back too much on it. If you're confident this is the right thing, then yeah, you can
0: do that. Yeah. And when it's actually then sent to someone to read it and edit uh, who's the first person to read it after you've finished the project? Usually my wife, who is also a writer and
1: yeah, like we've been working on each other's stuff for quite a long time. It's always mm. been a part of our relationship. So, yeah, she's still the one I want to impress. <laughs> she's still the one yeah. I want to be just, yeah, you just tell me it's good. We do like, we critique each other's stuff. I really mm. enjoy that. I think she would say that I'm worse at receiving feedback than her. <laughs> but we're pretty good mm. on that When we're pretty honest and brutal. I mean, she's she's writing this thing at the moment. I have more, I guess, like arrogance is not the word, but I have more self-belief than her. Yeah. But this thing she's writing at the moment is so good, and it it's gonna be it's gonna be a monster. It's yeah. gonna be a monster hit. So it's just about my. I want to critique it. Also, want to say like you, you need to tell yeah. you the other person it's really good. I think that's also really important at the start. You want to give what doesn't work. but It's important to give what does because they are we are the first person seeing each other's stuff.
0: Yeah. And how is that? Because obviously, yeah, you are both established writers but write very different types of work and yeah she's coming along with some great success at the moment so are you because you're not in direct competition no but would you say like her writing informs your writing and vice versa or is it just it's nice to read but I want to do my own thing
1: yeah in a lot of ways we've got similar tastes in terms of like tv or film there's very few times where I would like really love something and she would hate it and vice yeah. versa but we do write very different things mm. but ultimately i mean good's good mm. and yeah. bad's bad and like her you had me at halloumi which she's got out of the moment that's just a great read mm. like i'm not obviously the target audience for a romantic comedy set in uh, in greece but it's just, it's great. I can really admire the writing. I can yeah. admire how she structured it. I can, can see how good she's got. <laughs> and it's quite thrilling to see yeah. that. But yeah, we're pretty brutal with each other. I mean, we are We are very straight talking with each other. It doesn't work, it doesn't work. Definitely Dying Squad is not something Kirsty yeah. would normally read, but she can, it's almost good in that respect, Yeah. because it's, she's out of the genre. So she can just give me quite a clinical, what doesn't work in yeah. terms of
0: the story and what does. Yeah. And I'm guessing that we're not gonna get a collaboration Sort of crossover. <laughs>
1: no, we're fucking not.
0: I, I think some people, I really admire
1: people that couples that can work yeah. together like that. And we've done a couple of films together and it just didn't work because mm. we were kind of both wanting to do the same job. And I was not anywhere near tolerant enough. I was the bad guy in that situation, I'm sure. No, like we work collaborate very well in other ways. But in terms of, I just think when you're both trying to do the same thing, yeah. it doesn't
0: work very well. Mm-hmm. And we're back post-Jingle with a new drink. We're on the comfort drink now, so you've got yeah. the decaf latte <laughs> yeah. on the coffee. So, yeah, what I want um, to talk now is actually more about your process uh, with the story. Obviously, we've covered that, you know, is the crime that sort of initiates the story. Are there elements of fleshing out the world that you find challenging? Is it quite hard to do authentic characterisation? Does that come quite easily? Is that quite fun to do? And the world-building, how long does that take? Is that something that you plan out a lot of the world beforehand or is it just on the fly, you're inventing the mythology?
1: Uh, Yeah, it is on the fly. I did a book club once and they couldn't quite believe that I'd be insane enough to just try and world build to the extent I do (laughs) on the fly. And it it is insane. Even though there's all these fantastical elements, I always try and make it real. I Mm. try and make it like a tangible thing that people will recognize. You find you're good at some things and some things come easily and some things are harder. Mm. The world building is one of the harder things to do. And I think most of my edit notes, when it got to the edit stage with Galantz were about world building. Mm. And with my agent as well, explain this, how does that work? That seems inconsistent with something else you've done. Because it doesn't matter what rules you write, you just have to stick to them. Yeah, You can't break them. I saw something recently, and it was like a supernatural crime thing, and it just broke its own rules and really wound me up. Yeah. Like you have to, if you don't want the reader or viewer to feel cheated, you have yeah. to stick to the rules. And yeah. um, no matter how weird or crazy they are, yeah. So yeah, like I love dialogue, that's easy. When it's a dialogue day, I think I'm going to be done in two hours. (laughs) When it's a world building day or if I'm writing action, you just think this is going to be a slog. This Mm. is going to be hard work. Each word is going to fight me on this. That's just the way it is.
0: So with the challenges of world building, is it you're just strongly reliant on editors that pick stuff up or do you actually now have the murder whiteboard with bits of string and pictures, how do you uh, keep track of it all? I
1: should have that. It was good in a way because I pretty much had written the second book before the first book came out. So I could go back and retrofit little bits. The same with the third book as well, because I'd written that before the second book came out. I think if there'd been a bigger gap, I would have really struggled and that Mm. it would have been better to plan it. But in terms of the world building, you can let your imagination run wild, which is Mm. brilliant in a way. But when it is you are trying to write a realistic urban fantasy novel, mm. you have to rein yourself in a bit. And it's, again, it's getting that balance of bringing loads of new ideas into each one, yeah. but not like gorging it in ideas. You read some stuff that's so brilliantly inventive, but you, I feel like I can't catch my breath because mm. there's a new thing coming half a page yeah. up. I think you, you need time to let it simmer a bit and linger yeah. and let the idea soak in.
0: Yeah. I mean, with the challenges of world building, is there. An appeal to write more real-world stuff.
1: I like, I definitely, with the Dying Squad series, particularly, I like the real-world stuff is the bit I really like writing. It's the stuff I enjoy the most. It's the biggest challenge mm. because you are in the real world. There are very specific rules you're to adhere to. Yeah. But it's the bits that are just all set in the pen, which is like the afterlife mm. purgatory bit. I'm always trying to balance that with thinking, oh, this is just all made up. This <laughs> <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Yeah. This is fucking nonsense. It's trying to keep that under control a little yeah. bit and trying to make that as realistic as the mm. bits that say like, a dingy part of Manchester. Yeah,
0: Because obviously the real world bits are based on like, locations you've actually been to and know. Is the fancy world building and sticking to locations a real aversion to research? Is research something that you would never do? <laughs>
1: actually, I mean,
0: Tokyo, for instance. I haven't yeah. been to Tokyo. Oh, okay. I
1: was intending to go to Tokyo, but for the pandemic. So I had to research Tokyo. Yeah. I had to make that as realistic as possible. And yeah. I like, it's my way in, actually. Finding a real place and maybe doing a little bit of a backstory about a mm. certain area of it. Yeah. That's my way in. I find into certainly the start of chapters. The third book, which is set in Berlin, and it's the, almost a historical thriller element to it. So it follows this character through Berlin throughout the decades. I did a lot of research for that, particularly like the East German stuff, mm. the kind of the punk movement in yeah, Berlin. Yeah. And I loved it. I mean, I really, it wasn't research. It was like, it was just enjoyment. Yeah. I do wonder how the hell people did research before the internet, because I can just like Google East German punks and you've got 50 entries yeah, or like what kind of car they would drive yeah. in that time. In the olden days, you had to actually earn it, you had to yeah. kind of go
0: and find a library and find it. Yeah, or speak to someone who was around at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think I'm way too lazy to do that, <laughs> so
0: it's good that I'm in this area. Yeah. With that experience with the third book, actually having to do so much research, was that actually then quite an enjoyable experience and are you looking to do maybe more historical stuff in the future?
1: Or I to, yeah. I did. It's not a good question I, I don't know i did enjoy I, I enjoy it if it's something i'm interested in yeah. and something i want to learn about and i i read this specific book called burning down the house which is h-a-u-s about berlin and that kind of punk era thing and it again it, it didn't feel like school it was just genuinely enjoyable yeah. and it was my real way into the story mm. in a way that i didn't really appreciate at the time it depends if it's something i'm into if it's something like pop yeah. culture and, music or sports, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If it's just historical for the sake of it, probably
0: not. So is there a personal interest that you would like to include in a future story or that you're considering using in a story as use this knowledge or to deep dive and expand your knowledge? The the first novel
1: that I wrote that I thought, this is like a genuine banger that nothing happened with, was following this, it was about this, kind of really degenerate tennis player it yeah. wasted his potential and it was following him around the the challenger circuit mm-hmm. in tennis and that is something that really yeah. interests me you say in the 90s yeah i really like that i like road trip books my love and interest in that book was not shared by the publishing community <laughs> unfortunately but yeah i mean I'm another one actually another one was the third book i wrote like i'm a big i'm a bit of a trainer head trainer collector and it was about this kind of it was like indiana jones but if he was like a Famous trainer collector because like these things go for hundreds of yeah, thousands of pounds. Yeah. Like it's a huge industry. So it was like a pulpy noiry adventure in that. Mm. Again, my love for this was not shared by the publishing community. <laughs> you can detect the theme. It's it's really it's the internal struggle between finding mm. something that excites you and something that's going to
0: sell. Yeah. That bit is really important. Unfortunately, yeah. otherwise it doesn't matter how good it is. And. Talk a bit industry now, because obviously you're midway through your three book deal with Gallant How far along was the three books when you pitched it and when they got it? So I, I went to see, like, I had this very specific agent in, my, yeah. in
1: mind that I wanted. So I went along and pitched him. It was a pitch night. And he, one of the things he said on it was that publishers like series. So if you're pitching something say it's like the first in a series and i hadn't thought of it particularly as a series at that point but mm-hmm. i did then and so when i pitched it to him i said i've written the first book and have plans for the second and third book which is true <laughs> i had a vague idea yeah. what i'd do for the second book i genuinely had no idea what i'd do for the third book so when he said you know glance can you send in yeah. your plans so the third one was a bit of a back of a fag packet idea but it was i think that's normal because. You just you haven't written a second, mm. but you don't know which way yeah. it's going to go. It is. I think if you're writing a series like publishers do like yeah. them because they could something they can potentially build up, they don't all, doesn't always work like yeah. that. Yeah. So I didn't really know which I knew how the last scene of the last book would be. Mm. I knew that. Yeah. I didn't really know beyond that.
0: Yeah. That's, and you've written another book since That's mm. a standalone. Yeah, i been get so,
1: out on submission with that. Right, so. I was going to say, what stage is that at? <laughs> so it's done. I've done the kind of edit notes with my agent. Mm-hmm. My agent, sorry, my editor at Galantz is actually leaving. So we're having to pitch it to someone different in Orion. It'll be really interesting to see what happens with it. Yeah. People seem pretty excited by it. I, It's a really interesting time to be in because it still feels quite fragile, the whole thing. So you have this huge effort to get an agent and then yeah. you have this huge effort to sell a book and then try and build your career. And it's been like a wonderful experience, but still quite fragile. Yeah. Like these three books will be open next year. Hopefully there'll be more. I'm not finished. I've got mm-hmm. like, plenty more stories to tell, but it's still, unless you're, I think you're Stephen King or Ian yeah. Rankin or Aranovich. like the rest of us are just kind of, it's a little bit, you're never quite yeah. sure which way it's gonna go. But that's exciting in a yeah. way as well
0: so the standalone is it in the same universe or is it a whole new thing it's a different
1: universe yeah but it's paranormal and with a crime element mm-hmm. again it's sort of stranger things crossed with gong okay and it's based around the rendlesham incident oh. which was in 1980 in rendlesham forest aliens were purported to be spotted over yeah. the forest And the thing that gave this a legit element was it was a US Air Force base that happened over. So they they did the reports. So the premise of the book is the main character's mother went missing on the Mm -hmm. night of the incident.
0: And then 30 years later, they start to get transmissions from beyond. Actually, I'm going to give a shout out to my friends, Mike and Zoe, Stories of Strangeness podcast, because oh. they've actually done an episode oh, on cool. the whole incident. Excellent. So I will put in the show notes of yeah, this. Yeah, so I'll have to always, give that a listen. Yeah, more context to that, because, yeah, it was um, the UK Roswell, is Like, pitched stars. That's exactly um, what it is. That's also in the yeah, pitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I actually understand what you were referring oh, good. to so that's yeah that's a really exciting thing and yeah i guess you've got the 80s setting with that as exactly well, so. so if yeah it
1: starts in the 80s and it pings forward 30 years okay.
0: yeah it was one from the
1: start that kind of when i gave it to beta readers everyone was like everyone was quite excited by it and my wife was like actively asking me for the next bit rather yeah. than just like oh, christ yeah, yeah he's yeah. giving me 30 more pages this is always a pretty good sign yeah hey,
0: that's a, a really nice thing i think linking it to not an urban legend, but yeah, you know, actual, like factual, historical, with a bit of mystery. Is that something that you're tempted to do again in the future? Like, sort of looking at sort of real world mysteries and yeah, around
1: it? potentially. And I guess I did it a bit with, which will be the third Dying Squad book, The Ungrateful Dead. Mm. It's it's again, it's using that mm. real life thing as my way yeah. in, and then that that lets you kind of burrow in and build a world from yeah. that. I always find I do much better if I have that little in. It also yeah. legitimises it a bit. Yeah, yeah, if it's yeah. a real life thing, it just, it, especially if you're dealing with a paranormal or the extraordinary, mm. it just gives it a bit more grit and credence, I think. Yeah, no, and it's like
0: something to anchor yeah. the events around. 100%.
1: And I think also like they can save your arse a little bit in a writing stage. <laughs> yeah. If you're struggling, you've yeah. always got this kind of real thing to go back yeah. to and it does, ideas germinate from yeah, it. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, that's really cool. Yeah, I can see why there's a lot of excitement around that and I'm excited for that as well. Thanks, man. Cheers. Is it just because, yeah, as a, a filmmaker for like, most of your career, was there a strong desire to go back to scripts as a, because of the length of time that books take and they're, they're very solitary? Yeah. What was the drawback for screenplays for I, you? I think I, I would feel
1: I've failed on some level if I don't get something made yeah. as a script. I would feel like that's how I got into the creativity, writing scripts and making films. I would feel like I'd failed, whether that's right or not. That's just the way yeah. I'm built and the way I would feel. So yeah, it's
0: an unfinished business. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously screenplay is far more collaborative as a process. Is the collaboration uh, something that yeah. you, you really enjoy or do you prefer to be like a writer director? Do you want the control over <laughs> the story?
1: I've got better at seeding control <laughs> as I've got older. I think the control thing, is there a little bit of insecurity mm. when you're younger because you don't, you're don't, you not quite confident enough mm. to delegate stuff to people mm. and you mm. hide behind My vision is absolute, this is the way it must be. I think as you get a bit older and a bit more relaxed about it, you can see control. And if you feel like in the writer's room doing something for Netflix, like you, you are with the best of the best. Like mm. that's not something to be afraid of. It's something yeah. you should embrace, I think. In terms of novels, it's a little bit, Different, But in general, I like the editing process. I know a lot of writers just hate it, but yeah. I really like it. If you've got a good editor, like, they're going to make that book better. They are. They're going to call you out on your bullshit, or your bits where you've just tried to write extra confidently to cover up. <laughs> this. this is just rubbish. And they're going to make the book better. So yeah. I've loved working with my editor at glance, Rachel Winterborn. Mm. She's a gem. Like yeah. She's really, really good. And then they shouldn't tell you what to do. Like, they should yeah. say, this doesn't work. How can you make it better? And yeah. then that will make you make it better. You yeah. might not know straight away, but... I think that's the art of a good editor.
0: Yeah. And would you ever either with scripts or with novels collaborate and like co-write a story? Yeah,
1: I don't know. I'm up for it in principle. Oh, yeah. I'm up for it in principle, I'm probably not cursing my wife. <laughs> <laughs> for the sake of our marriage, but she's too good anyway. She's showing me up. I yeah, in theory. Obviously, yeah, with, with a script, it can be passed through so many hands, yeah, exactly. either until it gets to you or you give it to someone else. So yeah, the collaboration thing, I think once you get over working with someone again after working so long with novels, I'd be quite excited by it, I think.
0: Yeah, cool. And I'm going to wrap up with the final two questions I always ask. So it's my belief that uh, writers learn and grow with every story that they write. With the last thing that you wrote, which sounds like it was this standalone, was there anything in writing that you felt... Oh, that's going to make my writing better. Or was there a specific thing that you will now apply, you think, to the next thing you write?
1: <sighs> yeah, I think in terms of the last novel, the last novel was actually The Third Dying Squad. And I don't really bring that up because that has got some of the best stuff I've ever written. And there's not, I'd love to say, oh, I changed my process to do that. I just think sometimes you get a bit inspired. And it's magic. It's a witchcraft. Yeah. And you just go with it and it's not even you writing. You're transcribing for something. Yeah, it's yeah. like you almost can't take credit for it. It's not all like that. There are days as well. Where you think, God, this is shit. Right. This is just uh, my career's over. This is finished. <laughs> but that has got some of the stuff I'm proudest yeah. of. And I wish I knew how to do it. <laughs> I wish I could bottle it and yeah. say, just do that all the time. It doesn't work like that. Do unfortunately. you think
0: it's the confidence of finishing projects that you're not getting in the way of your creative muscles. Yeah
1: I think with the third one as well like you see so many like trilogies and the third one is just rubbish. Yeah. Whether that's books or films you just yeah, like yeah, they've yeah. run out of ideas and stretch the one idea over three books. I felt like pressure on myself that this mm. needs to be the best book this third book. Yeah. And it was also like with that because I didn't have a plan it's, is this going to work out? <laughs> yeah. Am I going to be able to end this yeah. in a decent way? And I felt like pride that it does. I think it mm. is the best book and it does it ends it strongly but again I think you just do it enough times and you think it's going to be all right you learn that despite when you're having a bad day that doesn't cripple you mm-hmm. you know you will have a good one yeah. tomorrow or the good one is not
0: far around the corner yeah. I think that's really important yeah and is there one piece of advice you've ever been given or something that you've read that really resonated with you I
1: think the best bit of writing advice I've ever been given was write how you talk only you sound like you. Mm. Only you have your voice. So if you're going to try and create a bit of a voice, which is really important, um, and people say, how do you do that? I think you just write how you talk. Write how you talk to your friends. Yeah. Write in that same sort of style, no matter what. You, don't need, you shouldn't really need to change your yeah. style if you're writing a historical fiction or yeah. something about a guy trying to be a rock star. Yeah. You're still doing it in your voice. Yeah. And it's easier said than done, but if you can do that, yeah. you've got a good chance, I think. Do you ever read
0: your stuff aloud?
1: I've done ever. a couple of readings, I hate readings. <laughs> I hate attending them and I hate giving them. I just think, why would anyone want this? Yeah. I do do it aloud sometimes. Yeah. It is a good way. I, don't, I know some people will just sit down and read the whole thing aloud, yeah. and that helps. I can't think of anything worse. <laughs> but yeah, I do,
0: and it, it's a good way of yeah. finding the flow. Yeah, because yeah, some people have a strong internal voice, and just read it through, but some people just need to externalise it. Yeah, and it is, it's like when you're editing film, mm. It's incredible the difference between
1: taking it from one screen to another makes. You see it almost in a different way, bits that you didn't see before yeah. that w- don't work. And the same is true of writing, I guess. If you read it aloud, you just hear things when it clunks that you don't hear from when it's in your head. That's cool. Adam Simcox, thank you very much. Thank Good you, pleasure. mate. It's a genuine pleasure. Cheers. Great.
0: And cheers to you. And that was the real writing process of Adam Simcox. Now, he said it in passing, but I'm pretty sure I got an exclusive on his third book being called The Ungrateful Dead. There's no publishing information about that out there at the moment, and even Adam doesn't know the exact release date, just summer 2023. So if any of you are journalists and want to cite this podcast as a source and announce that title, that's fine. But if anyone tries to claim an exclusive title announcement at some point in the future, I will retweet them, and I want you all to know I'm doing it sarcastically. I also want to take a moment to shout out to my friends at the Stories of Strangeness podcast. It's run by Mike and Zoe, they're wonderful people, and they've been doing it for years. And episode 15 is their breakdown of the Rendlesham Forest incident. So if you want to have a bit of background to Adam's Next Big Thing, then do give it a listen. You should also give it a listen anyway because it's a great show. But for Adam and fans of Adam, episode fifteen is the one to listen to. Uh so yes, buy Adam's books, they're good. His wife, Kirsty Eyre, is also good by her books too. Uh, she's written two books, uh but one is under the name Ginger Jones, and I don't know if it's a loophole to try and win a debut novel award. Um not sure, not gonna pick at that thread. I'm not judging book competitions, so just read the books. Right, that's it all for me. Will it be another four months until the next episode? Maybe. Uh, In the meantime, though, outro music. Look after yourselves and keep writing until the world ends.
2: Trusted friend or your sworn ally. No, it's the harshest mistress of all. And life is just a chain a moments spent, a thousand hellos and It's us called- shift and pull up the tights never